All right, we're back. And on this episode, we're going to enjoy Brando. So yeah, I knew I told you I was going to use it once in a while. Sweet, sweet stars related hat. Eric is going to tell us about the Sanderson in Sanderson to Orr. We're going to talk a little bit about the Chantilly show and some sort of general bantering. It won't be all about the hockeys. We will vaguely reference the hockeys. But that and more on this episode of the BIC Podcast. Played in with the sweet, sweet guitar riffs. Oh, beautiful. Well done. Well done. I love the energy and the excitement, Eric. The energy mm-hmm. and the excitement. Facts. I bring, I bring both to, to everything I do. I, without a doubt. Now, before we get into uh, what's on everybody's mind, and I'll come around with a couple of stories of my own that I want to share. There's one I want to start off with. Uh, you know, I don't know about our Fanatics overlords, but I know about our Spotify AI overlords. Because I mentioned before how the AI overlords brought on the darkness, but Spotify actually brought in a new feature that I've actually been kind of enjoying this past week. Uh, They created a new thing they literally called DJ, which is supposed to be AI, machine learning, whatever. It basically takes your entire listening history over the last several years if you've got the account set up, and it'll build these three and four song sets. But it'll actually have a DJ that'll play you out and then say, you know... You know, whatever by queens of the stone age and now some more ones that you were listening to back in 2020 and then they'll play a three song set i go all right <laughs> kind of liking it there look if the machines are going to take over at least give us some sweet sweet tunes in the in the process you know i'm kind of enjoying that neat. i haven't tried that part yet it's actually a cool feature and i will say if you don't like they will also try some new songs that are not part of your previous listening history based on the type of music that you're listening to but if it's not working for you, you can actually push the little button at the end and it'll stop that set and then cycle back to kind of more in line with where you've been. Bands you listen to, type, genres, and basically it uses your entire history to build it out. Pandora did kind of something similar to that back in the day when they were doing where you could analyze the different types of music and try to anticipate what kind you might be interested in. It's good for discovering stuff occasionally. But most of the time, it'll stick to your old favorites, which I think is a good mix. I just like the fact that they put in a DJ who will literally talk out the three or four song set and then lead you into the next one before hitting play, basically. And this is just for paid subscribers? As far as I'm aware, I only literally became aware of it this past week that it was uh, it was offered to me as an option there. And I was like, what the heck is this DJ thing? And I've been playing it with it this week and it's been, it's been pretty good. Uh, for the most part, it's a lot of the stuff that I wanted to li- would be listening to anyway. I like that they mixed it nicely. Uh, I'm still trying to teach them a system how not to how to stick within certain lanes that I wanted to play, but uh, otherwise it's doing basically what I would want it to do. Although I picked up a couple of songs and bands that I thought were interesting, so that's good. Win win. Are you hinting that you don't have a paid Spotify subscription, Eric? I'm not hinting. I'm not. <laughs> He's flat out saying he goes. He, his money is all spent on the like button. Because the like button for those folks in YouTube land is the life button I, of the channel along with. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I am very, very cheap. Like, I'm not mm. afraid to admit I am cheap. And I even have a paid subscription to Spotify. Because you can do the family plan and it makes yes. it just a couple bucks a person. And any new album that comes out. Like anything, my daughter loves music. You have a daughter. She's in college. I'm sure she loves music. And the new albums that come out, you don't have to buy them. Bam, and if, right and if she tunes it right, Eric's entire DJ will be Taylor Swift. 
Well, it wouldn't like that's what the the beauty of the family plan. She would have her own profile listening list. You would have yours. Your wife could have yours. Mrs. Wade could have hers. I mean, dude, it's so worth it. I also don't want to listen to ads. Saying it, be clear, I don't want to listen to ads. I flat out refuse. I'm not listening to ads (laughs) for it, even even a couple. Or are you a classical music guy and you just listen to the same elevator over and over and over? Uh, no, I have a wide range of tastes. And um, how I, many of them involve Kiss? Well, when I say wide range, I I meant like through the different genres of Kiss. Yeah, I was gonna say different uh, Kiss albums, basically. Oh, so now, uh, Bobbles, I do want to make one quick point as well. Like I said, I refuse to listen to ads. I will not indulge or acknowledge that. But one thing I will indulge and acknowledge is MG Collectibles. Yeah, friends of the channel who you know, give us our support. And we do appreciate them. This is not an ad. This is merely me relaying some information that if you go to amgcollectibles.ca, you can see their latest eBay auctions that they're selling a variety of different items, including the hockeys for people that are into that kind of thing. And then as well as the AMG Collectibles YouTube channel where you can get some wonderful hobby-related podcasts that we record once a week where we talk about different things. This week, we'll be talking about Series 1 hockey, which we'll not be talking about in this episode. But you can check that out on AMG Collectibles YouTube channel. Thank you to AMG Collectibles for supporting this podcast and this channel. Absolutely. Without a doubt, the greatest sports memorabilia and card store in the entire nation of the Canadas. Mm. (laughs) We often uh, take great pride in the various Canadas. Similar to the various shades of Kiss, we have various shades of Canadas. Very important uh, to note. Yeah, all right. I've got a couple of other things that I'm going to share as well. But before I do, Eric, do you want to tell us a, bit, a little bit about the Sanderson and Sanderson door? I think you've got a little story to share from this week. Yeah, you know, it was kind of a, a, a fun weekend for me. Um, so, you know, my the, the nickname I've, I've created for myself, um, you know, my handle on, on YouTube and other social media is Sanderson door. And that references the 1970 Stanley Cup um, winning goal. Bobby Orr flying through the air where Derek Sanderson passed the puck to Bobby Orr and he scored. So if you listen to the original call, it says Sanderson to Orr score, Bobby Orr scores for the Boston Bruins. So um, I've been a huge fan of Derek Sanderson my whole life and uh, have had the opportunity to meet him many times. And this past weekend he was doing a signing and there was a piece from the store that I work at that we needed for him to sign to com- complete the team photo. Uh, from 1970 that's all autographed and for some reason he, he wasn't on it so i i was i went up i was planning on going up uh, about 40 40 minutes from my house uh to go to this small show that he was at and for years i've been you know i've listened to my parents talk about the good old days of the bruins and you know listen to the all the stories about bobby Orr and Derek sanderson and phyllis Bazito. And that was kind of where my love for that era and, and the sport itself began was through my parents. And my mom, you know, grew up in is roughly the same age as all those guys are now. And, you know, back when she was a teenager and in her 20s, you know, she had crushes on some of them and, you know, were fans, you know, just like nowadays with, with uh, the current fan base. And so... I've asked her over the years, you know, hey, do you want to come with me and 
go to this show and meet so-and-so and you know she's had some health issues over the years so she hasn't been able to go well she's doing really well right now thankfully and i said hey i gotta run up to methuen Mass, uh, massachusetts and go see Derek sanderson would you like to come with me get a chance to meet him and she kind of thought about it for a minute she goes sure i'd like that which shocked me um so mom and i drove up and um went in and she got a chance to meet Derek and she had a quick conversation with him and was telling him about, you know, how she used to love watching the seventies Bruins and, and um, she was a big fan of his. And, uh, you know, she told him, uh, I never, I never missed a game. And he kind of smiled and leaned over to her and said, neither did I, you know, referring to, he was playing in them, of course. So she got a real kick out of it. And we took this photo, um, and, you know, she's been showing all her friends and everything. And, you know, they grew up in the same era, so they know who he is. And they, a lot of them had crushes on him when they were in their 20s. And, um, you know, it, it, it was good to go and do that with my mom, you know. Uh, you know, I'm almost 50. Mom's like 75. Um, it, was a, it was a fun afternoon. There you go. And for the visual folks, I included a, a picture from the Instagram there with Eric, his mom, and San, and Derek Sanderson. And since he brought it up, I do want to highlight one of the comments. It says, Methuen sounds like Guelph, which I couldn't agree more. <laughs> sounds like I it to me. To, I, I want to highlight one of the comments, too. And it's good to see Mrs. Wade smiling and happy there. And we already discussed how it looked like you just photobombed the picture. 100%. But if you, look at, if you look at Boomer's comment about the restraining order, does it not look eerily similar to like a courtroom behind them with like the old wooden siding on the wall? I just assumed it was taken there? just before the hearing. And then, <laughs> yeah. uh, and this and this is used as an exhibit of a hostage taking. It looks uh, like you know, a door there for the judge mm -hmm. judge to go back to his chambers and everything. Like that looked like the scene of a courtroom behind Eric. I'm just saying I've got additional questions after seeing the image itself. And I feel like it leads to more questions, which I will be happy to ask on Friday. But in the spirit of, of time constraints, we will refrain for now and we will move on. And, but I will and come it back. was good to see Mrs. Wade smiling like that. She, yeah, she it, looked it, like she uh, had a good time. She did. And it was fun to go off and do something like that with her. And I'm just glad that she's well enough to do that now. And, um, you know, she got to meet her very first, um, you know, Boston Bruin from that era that she enjoyed so much. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, now, Bobbles, we're going to get into talking about the Chantilly here in a minute. But outside of the Chantilly topic, which we'll get to here in a second, is there anything else from this week? You got a sweet, sweet new hat. Well, a nice pickup by you. That's a cool one. Got a sweet hat. I also got the Jason Robertson Hot Shots, the card I said I wanted. I did uh, get off my wallet a little bit and buy one. Um, nice, nice. Like the card. Um James Gillum came down. He comes down and hangs out and goes to the Chantilly show with us. So it was good seeing him and hanging out for a bit. Um, busy weekend all around. And yeah, we'll get into all of that later. Uh, my Ravens won handedly over the Lions. That was good mm -hmm. to see. That was that was a convincing victory by them. Yes, I do agree with that. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, the guy I'm playing in fantasy had Lamar Jackson, so mm. it was um, one of those they could have settled a little bit. I still have a chance to win, but we'll have to see how it go tonight goes. But uh, yeah, overall, really good weekend. So, 
Perfect. And uh, as we're recording, uh, the Game 7 of the ALCS is actually being played out. I definitely don't have an iPad just in front of me a little bit there watching the game <laughs> as we're having this conversation. Lest you have that thought. I just want to make sure I, I clear up any rumors that is not occurring as, as I speak. It's 3 nothing currently. But anyway, the point is that... Um, I did want to quickly do a big quick callback to last week's episode. Like I said, we did the hockeys. I joke with the guys that unfortunately our audience was a little bit more niche because, you know, uh, look, we're not, we, you can do niche topics and niche content. We're not hockey experts. We're enthusiasts. And Eric. Um, again, <laughs> I, 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 I bring us back to the last year's playoffs and the, the immaculate predictions, which what's the opposite of immaculate? What's like the complete other end of it? Uh, you know, not a no hitter, just uh, like a no, 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 no hitter, not, not even close hitter, you know. Uh, so, so again, enthusiasts more than experts. I think that would be a more appropriate terminology. But thank you to Wes for joining us. But I was inspired by one of the things that Wes showed, which is he had a kind of a Z folio that could actually hold top loaders. So yeah. I quickly wanted to chat with the guys that just mentioned that I was inspired by it. I went to Amazon and I found one of them and the price was reasonable. So I was like, okay, cool. Awesome. So this is the regular Z folio. I just want to have this for comparison's sake. I'll come back to this in a second. This is a normal Z folio you can use to hold cards. Side loader, which is awesome and great. I got the one for the one for the for the top loader. Now this thing is like <laughs> I, I'm going to open it up in a minute, but it has a zipper. I want to put the other one beside it for contrast. I don't know if you guys can see that. It's a little <laughs> bit of a difference. Yeah. Um, it's completely justified if you think about the difference in needing the extra space to fit a top loader, but it's kind of absurd. Like, I actually can't fit it in the same shelf that I have these. No. Zippos in. No. I got to find another another way to do it. But I will say, uh, this one is from Fun Guys, uh, Ultra Guard, I guess. It is well made. Uh, it is they, they do zip up on the side, and you can actually fit. And I used it for my Havres. And these are all in one in top loaders which is actually pretty great to house certain types of cards. I think it holds like 216, which means if you fill it up completely, this thing will weigh a ton when you fill it up with top loaders and 200 cards. But um, cool to have as kind of a, a way, another storage option, another uh, another yeah. feature, but uh, not convenient to house, I will say. So I guess if you have them in top loaders, you don't have to worry about you know, dinging them up as you're trying to put them into the nine pockets, right? Is that the whole point? They're already sleeved, they're in top loaders, and, you know, when you're sliding them into the pockets, you don't have to worry about nicking a corner and stuff, which happens sometimes. Yeah, that that's a big part of it, and I will say the other part of it is it's, like, and this is something I actually saw with uh, Jason Cards and Comics. Uh, it, it, when you're, like, a player collector or you collect stuff like that, you try to figure out whatever storage solution makes the most sense for you. I have different shoe boxes. So like my Medano collection is predominantly in shoe boxes. Something like that would make zero sense for the Medano collection. It would be absurd. It, like there's too much variation, right. but there's cards that are worthy of say top loaders. They're a little bit nicer. Um, regular cards, you could totally put in a Z folio, you know, like base cards and certain low end inserts and stuff, uh, parallels and stuff like that. That would make sense here. But what if it's something like a mirror gold? Something that's a little bit nicer and maybe you don't have it graded or maybe you don't have it in a one touch. You could put it in one touch as well and then put it inside of the uh, shoebox. That would make total sense. But I guess it's kind of the intermediary where, yeah, these are slightly nicer cards. It's a little bit elevated. You want a little additional protection, but you still like to be able to leaf through them. So it'd be kind of cool. So imagine uh, mirror gold or, you know, it'd be really cool if you say, for example, uh, we talk about the top school label that you're a big yep. fan of. Yep. Let's say you have the class one, class two and class three. And let's say you have the 
the black ones and the red labels. The red labels, which are all numbered to varying degrees from 150, 25, those ones are a little bit nicer. You might want to have those in either one touches or top loaders. Well, if you got a set of nine of them, you could put it inside of one of these nine, nine top loaders, and you can still look at it as a nice set. And if you want to take one out and look at it, it's in a top loader. So it's got a little additional protection so that you don't have to worry about it. Again, not for everybody, but I thought it was kind of a cool idea. So I decided to be inspired and borrow that. But it is obscene in terms of um, trying to figure out where to store it because I was like, oh, hmm. <laughs> and you put, will mag holders fit in it? No, I think that would be, I think that would be too much for it. Uh, okay. Just because, just because, again, it would be, you've got enough room in the pocket theoretically, but then if you try to put something on the other side, it would take the one page and just stretch it. Like I could imagine it stretching it if you tried to do that. I'm sure there's holders for that, but uh, it would have to be something else, a different solution. Do they make things like that for graded cards? That well, they definitely that? make the pages. That's what Wes showed us. I okay. think they mm -hmm. make pages that you would put in a normal binder because I don't think this type of setup where you've got the pages predefined would make sense for that kind of uh, arrangement. So I think just something to bear in mind, again, you know, uh, player collector problems, you know, trying to figure out what the best, uh, you know, in bubbles you get, you're getting a, a, a taste of this. You're getting started with some of them. If, if it's already in graded holders or something, then so be it, you know, you put it in the shoebox or whatever, you know, and then you're fine. Um, but if you, but if it isn't something like that, or it isn't something that you can just put in a normal Z folio and do it this way, um, what's the intermediate solution? It's been a shoebox for me up until this point, but for a collection like the Farb one where I don't have a thousand cards, I've got like less than a hundred and not all of them require that. This might, this still might make sense. And right now for me, that's a, that's a good intermediate solution. That's kind of in the middle of the different options available. It's interesting. They kept it with the nine per page. Like I, I would have thought with the weight and size of it, it would have like maybe shrunk to a four to six page per page. So that's interesting. They kept it nine, nine per page like that. Yep. It does make it a bit awkward, a little unwieldy, which was, I just thought it was very funny when I was sitting there like, okay, once I opened it up into the package, I'm like, oh, okay. Huh. It's like, I'm gonna have to think about this one a little bit, uh, but it seems to do very well. If you, if you actually fill up the pages and then put cards on the opposite side of the page, everything sits and you're able to flip through the pages nicely and look through the cards. And I think it's actually kind of cool, but I wouldn't recommend it for, they... for every, it would make sense for everyone. Are they like a firm sheet or do they still kind of like fold like the other Z folio pages? They do. But once you put enough top loaders in where you've got top loaders on one side and top loaders on the other side, it creates a natural, um, it actually, the, the top loaders themselves create additional rigidity on the page. So they hold, okay. basically hold it in place. So just by literally by putting the cards in, it, it makes it uh, stronger. Let's put it that way. It makes it stronger too. So that you don't have to worry about them uh, uh, shuffling around. That's kind of the important gotcha. thing with that one. So that's kind of a, just thought I would throw that out there as, a, as something that might be worthwhile looking into if someone has a use case for it. If you don't, then yeah, use one of the other things. Shoe boxes are great because they, they work really well for a lot of collections. And if you got one touches and something, it might make more sense to stick with that. Just throwing something out there. Just thought I would share that since uh, that was uh, something I picked up this week. I also picked up two more blasters of AEW uh, metal. Uh, not so good. I did record them, but they're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one more thing then, uh, and we'll get into shifting over to the other topic uh, on the channel, on the YouTube channel, there's going to be this week is going to be a lot of recording. I already made reference to the AMG collectibles thing. I'm going to be recording that tomorrow. That'll come on later on in the afternoon, Tuesday. So that'll be coming up. And then I'm going to do two collector conversations this week. 
I will reveal more later on, but I'm going to record two of them this week. One of them will appear this week. And then the other one I'm going to save for next week. I'm mentioning this in advance because uh, as we start to get closer to the expo, the schedule is going to change in that last week. So I'll have two things there. And I have, I am going to record one more of the Beckett uh, walkthroughs. The next one is going to be late nineties. So we're going to shift ahead from 1992, I think to 1997. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see what happened in the, in that five year jump. And then hopefully at the expo, I'd like to get some more back issues and talk about 93, 94, 95, because there are a lot of changes that happened during that time period. And I, I want to acknowledge the first ever finest refractors. I want to talk about, yeah. I want to talk about, you know, early because now we're talking super premium like this is a super premium product that suddenly went up in price a lot in 1993 and remember 1994 the baseball strike that's hugely impactful because that's going to have a dampening effect on card shows on the cards themselves on the prices i want to see what those reader letters look like as those prices those down arrows start piling up and people are writing in you know possibly not somewhat upset (laughs) suddenly the prices are going down so you know just uh, it'll be fun to have that little contrast and see how things play out. And also at the same time, innovation is coming into the game. We're getting more varieties of inserts. There's going to be more different kinds of things. And then by the late 90s, we're getting all this innovation, all these really cool cards that would come later on. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun to tap into. So one more thing then I want to ask a question for you guys. I do have one more thought that occurred to me uh, that I'll get a chance to address later, but I want to get your takes on it too. Chantilly, I think will be our bulk that we'll talk about a few things related to it. Is there anything else you guys want to touch on before uh, I shift to one other topic that I want to get your takes on? Well, Eric has a perfect opportunity to talk about his Patriots this week. Mm. They did win a game. And, and the evil hoodie man got his 300th win. Yeah, it, Listen, uh, I don't think the problems are solved yet in New England, um, but it was great to see them play so well um to win the game in the lat in the closing minute um you know to, to to beat such a good team it isn't like they beat the second worst team in the league you know uh and it's like oh well congratulations you know that you beat another team that sucks who cares they beat a super bowl contender um with you know one of the top you know three quarterbacks in the league um so yeah, it was a huge win. It was it definitely made a lot of people happy around here cuz the the stuff that's being said on the local sports radios is I haven't heard that stuff since the 90s. You know, when we would go uh and the Patriots would go 1 in 15, you know, back to back to back to back years. We would like the we were Detroit Lions before the Detroit Lions. And um you know, it's crazy what people uh have been saying fire bill get rid of mac get you know mac jones is you know the worst quarterback in in patriots history and it's like wow there's that none of that is true (laughs) absolutely number 12 is easily the worst bubbles help me out here like number 12 the worst well before i said anything you know he was saying super bowl contender and all of that for buffalo but i would just like to remind you that Buffalo is below Cleveland um, in the standings currently. Uh, not far from the Jets. Not much above the Jets. And, uh, yeah, they're not very good either. Can I, can I, can I throw something <laughs> out? I, I, I'm, happy to ha- I'm happy to go into depth more on this on Friday because we'll have, obviously have the time to flesh it out. But I want to propose something, a thought to chew on. 
I genuinely believe this is going to be one of those football seasons that a lot of it is going to be rock, paper, scissors. It's going to be depends on who you're playing because just saying to yourself, Oh yeah, this team's better. This seems worse. is not going to work. I think you're going to find a lot of cases. Like, you know, I I made the joke about it. I have almost, I have zero expectation with the Packers. I intentionally pick, I I guessed five wins. I like, I, I picked regression and it's playing right into that kind of lane, but they're not showing signs of improvement, but look, they played Denver. They played, you know, Denver sucks. They're real bad, but the Packers were able to make them look at least passable. They didn't make them look good. Let's be fair. Let's be clear about that. But they're worse right now. They're less. They're less in. They're less in tune. They were able to do nothing in the first half. They were losing nine to nothing to a team that legitimately is terrible. Well, if you're losing to a team that's legitimately terrible, guess what? You're legitimately terrible. However, they were able to be more competitive against quote unquote better teams. So what that should tell you is that. The matchup is everything. This year, uh, you know, the Lions uh, didn't play well against Baltimore, but at the same time, the Lions have played well the majority of the season. They've played well against a variety of different teams. So it's not like, oh, now the Lions suck. No, it's just they had a bad matchup, wrong day, wrong, wrong everything else. It didn't work for out for them. Maybe next week they come out and beat somebody, you know, stop, curb stop somebody. And, yeah, that could totally happen, and then they'll go on their merry way, and another team will have an opportunity, and you'll you'll get another weird upset next week, and it'll be – get used to it. This week it just feels like this is one of those seasons where nobody is that dominant. Uh, there are some bad teams, but if they get the right matchup, they can at least be competitive even if they don't win. Yeah, uh, Bobbles, listen, um, if I learned anything in the last year, um, it really doesn't matter what the regular season – is <laughs> really uh, he admits hold it hold on hold on, hold on. please please oh, t- tell us more hold on tell us more about this regular season is not that relevant please regular season is really really not that relevant i've learned in the last year <laughs> and so the important thing is to get it get into the playoffs uh whether you're the first seed um or the eighth seed um, the important part is to get there and it's in a completely new season and, you know, it, it you never know who's going to win or maybe lose. So, uh, so with you say, if anybody remembers uh, that callback, well, you know, Buffalo's not that good and this team's better and that team's better. Yeah. I, I don't, um, I don't subscribe to that magazine anymore. Uh, mm. I, I believe- oh no, I was just giving, I was just pointing that out. Yeah, for yeah, current yeah. status, yeah, to, no, to, just, to bust your balls like Josh Allen's out. struggling. So if I want to say, <laughs> so if I want to say this, Super Bowl contenders, all that means is get into the playoffs because once you, someone's in the playoffs, you're all Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, I, I would, I would like balls. to keep, I would like us to keep our collective eyes out though as weeks go by, because it wouldn't shock me if a lot of teams kind of shuffle and wind up around the same place. That could make for a very competitive tournament though. Because that means once we get into the actual playoff rounds, then it's like, don't assume anything. You know, literally throw everything you thought you knew out the window because now you're restarting fresh and you're getting, all right, how's the health of these various teams? How, you know, now everybody's had a chance to like look at the other teams and make decisions and make uh, that could affect the games. And we could wind up with a very wacky uh, playoff and it would not shock me in the least. I don't think anybody's that dominant. But you never know. Uh, suddenly somebody could flip the switch and suddenly figure it out. But it feels like everybody has weaknesses, which means it's open. It's a, a very much an open season on whoever gets hot at the right time. Um, I, I, you know, I meant to look it up, and I, I guess it's pretty silly of me to ask uh, live. But did did uh, Miami win or lose yesterday? Lost. 
All right. So in, in the Patriots division, Miami has now lost some games. Buffalo has lost some games. Patriots have beat them. If the Patriots can put another couple of wins together, they may not be completely dead yet at the end of the season. Because like Carlos is saying, they're, you know, they may be jumping around. And, you know, if Miami loses a few more, Buffalo, you know, loses a few more, Patriots somehow play well moving forward like they did yesterday, by the end of the season, there, there may, it may be more comparable. See, Bubbles, you did it. Now all of a sudden it's the meme from Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. That's what happened there. It would be very impressive since the uh, aforementioned Denver Broncos are the only team below the Patriots in the AFC. So it would be very impressive if they climbed that ladder. But I'm not going to say no chance. I'm looking forward. Like I'm going to keep an eye on the. I'm going to keep an eye on the Monday Nighter tonight. But I, I want to say Minnesota's playing in the Monday Nighter. If Minnesota loses, which I would expect they would, question mark. Right now. No, but I'm still saying I would expect them to lose. However, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But should they lose, I think that's three teams in that division with two wins. So so whoever the second place team is, who, which might even be the Packers. That's how bad this the division is playing. It's like it might literally be that it's like it's Detroit and then the Packers, the uh, the Bears and the Vikings deciding which one of them sucks the least. Hell of a division this year. <laughs> Let me tell I'm you. Focused on the AFC East right now. And I just rooting for all the AFC East teams to lose and the Pats to win. And, you know, if we'll see how that goes. And then we'll go to the entire AFC and then Amazing. all the way to the Super Bowl. Wow. The Super Bowl. Super all right. Bowl. Let- let me move on real quick because this one will be a good topic. Uh, Bubbles and I can touch on it, but Eric has got a little bit of familiarity now, but I think the general discussion can be had. So one of the products that came out this past week, I touched on it a little bit during the live, but I want to I revisit it since uh, Bobbles wasn't able to join us. Um, they came out with the Top's Finest flashbacks. They've been doing that the last couple of years, which I, for the most part, I like it, you know, whatever. Look, if you got no ideas, you may as well go back to some of the classics. I'm cool with it. Uh, The only caveat that I have, and this is really important for me, if you're going to go to the 90s design well, if you're going to do it, the only thing I ask is someone who was collecting in the 90s is please do it justice. Please, you know, respect the source material enough to at least make a good attempt. Give us something that resembles the original product and not a cheap knockoff that you clearly did not put the effort into. Uh, The finest flashbacks for the most part, I think they've done a decent job. Like uh, the first couple of years. This one, though, was something I did chat with uh, Jason Cards and Comics when we were having a discussion about it. was going to be the first real test, though, because this year they were going to replicate the 1996 Top's Finest set, which is a little bit more complicated because for that one, you've got three different tiers of subsets included. You got your bronze, your silver, and your gold tier, and then you got your refractors of all the above. Now, I'm going to reserve final judgment until I get one in hand to compare properly but i've watched a couple of different breaks of the product and it's expensive to start off with it's 240 us so that's not cheap that's that's pretty pricey you can buy it straight from tops but it is pricey but i'm looking at them and unless um you know i'm not a graphic designer so my monitor is not calibrated to you know pantone colors and everything to get like perfect color matching however i'm looking at it 
and the bronze looks kind of brown to me and the silver looks like a gray and i'm sitting there like oh my what is this what are you like i know what the what this is supposed to look like what the hell is this thing you're showing me well look at tops in general i mean how many years now have we gotten the golds that look like some weird shade of brown in the in the regular tops flagship product sure but these, i'm saying we actually have we have a comparison point there. when we when we when we take a 1996 the problem is that we actually have a real set so we can actually because i collect the 1996 gold refractors if i take a 1996 gold refractor which i i have i, I can grab it and i look at your new version and like it's not holding up like it's not even close we got a problem because the problem is I know what it quote unquote should look like. You want to create a flagship product. You can do whatever the hell you want because you're making it that, up. This is something else. That gold coloring, that foil, all of that is way more expensive today. Yeah, than I know. It was back then. So to keep the product affordable air quotes, um, they had to go to a substitute color. And so they're going to be slightly off. But you get the idea. Yeah, I don't think it's slightly. The problem is I don't think it's slightly off. I think it's very dangerous to me if you're going to go with the retro theme set. So, Eric, I think you understand kind of where I'm going with this. If you're going to do that, you understand that there were people who were around who saw the original. And it's like, it. so to the uninitiated, they won't care. They won't know the difference because they didn't know what the original one looked like. But the, the problem is when you do know what it looks like, and not only that, you have copies of the, and go, nope, nope. No, 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 no. Good try, guys. It's like, but it's, um, and th- this was the first year that I figured they might run into this problem. And next year is not going to be better because next year they, there's the embossed. There's the, there's a variety. There's a bunch of die cut versions and things. That are, this one technically is the easier of the two to replicate. Next year, it's more complicated if you want to try to replicate what the 97 finest look like. Because I don't think you're going to be able to do the Atomic Refractor 1997 Tops Finest style. Because I don't think I don't think I've seen the Matrix Refractor in a long time. And the embossing, they don't really do that either anymore. So it's like, how do you plan on doing that? It's it's going to look it's going to look a bit ugly. Because I've seen them try to do some of the throwbacks. The problem is, if you do it wrong, it's much worse than than the. It looks that much worse knowing what it could look like because we can see what it did look like. Here's the question, though. And then this is an honest question for both of you and anybody listening. Do they care because they know people are going to buy it? And just because the folks who were collecting them in the 90s, they're hitting a different target audience. Like their target probably has no clue what those cards look like ever. They just see new product, autographs, whatever. That's what they're targeting towards. So do they even care? Are they going to put forth the effort? No, I I agree with you, but I will counter with one thing. You could just have done this without bothering to go into the well at all. You could have just come up with a half-assed design, not even bothered with the three tiers, done the the exact same thing. In some way, this is why I'm saying I agree with you, but at the same time, it almost doesn't make sense to even bother then because you could have actually produced a set cheaper without going to the... So the problem is you're only using the 90s design in theory 
to bait the 90s collect because again the uninitiated they're not going to know the difference anyway just make up a make up a, a half-ass design get eric over there with a piece of paper have him draw something out and there you go there's your design who cares you know he'll do it for a couple of chocolate sticks done no problem you know bought bought and sold paid for it's all gonna look like the pony but it's not going to be very impressive good enough good enough we'll put a refractor on it it's all good one yeah done but the point i'm making though is like i, I agree with what you're saying but I'm saying it would have actually been cheaper to then just make up a half-assed design and move on with your life. As opposed to if you're going to invoke the nostalgic design, you are trying to get that on. The problem is the audience that you're trying to elicit knows what the original looked like. So then half-assing it actually doesn't work. So you are going to sell some for sure. But I think you, you're also missing out on some folks that would have bought it because it's not sold out immediately. Just to be clear, the first couple of years, I think they sold out almost immediately. So no, they probably want 240 a box. Exactly. So number one, you raise the price. Number two, you kind of half-ass it. So it means you'll get through it, but you're getting through it a lot slower because you raised the price and now you went the more you went for an even more complicated design. And I don't think you hit it. There are hits. You you can go buy singles. Like if you see a single something you want, yeah, I'd still go get a single, but yeah, I'm not gonna buy a box for that. I might grab a couple of singles though. That'd be about the extent of it. And I'm not paying top dollar for them either because I know it's half-assed. That's just kind of my thought. It, like bottom line, I don't disagree with Bobble's point at all. Uh, he's 100% right. They don't have to care. But at the same time though, the people you're trying to attract by using this classic design are then going to be more critical of it when you go so cheap relative to the original source material. It's just, I'll use this and for listeners on showing the the hot shots that i was talking about this is an example of what you're talking about they didn't do it perfect but it is a well done attempt with these the linchpins the hot numbers all of them look very very well and very close to their original counterparts and it got me excited to see you know some of these inserts in the the metal universe sets i know eric isn't a, a hockey insert enthusiast but being that back in those times i was into basketball baseball and football and i wasn't into hockey it's cool seeing those inserts and cards from the other sports that i enjoyed now i can get them in the new sport that i've enjoyed collecting so that's kind of why i'm attracted to it yeah. Um, but yeah i get your point too if that was done half-assed, then it may not be as enjoyable or even sought after. Yeah, I think I think to be fair though, you can you can and Eric, this is also kind of in lane with line with what I'm talking about. You can borrow inspiration. You want to do an homage. You want to like borrow certain elements from it and be like, okay, we'll take the concept, we'll put our own spin on it with what we do have available, with what our suppliers can do for us, with the foils we have available today. We'll do something like it, but we're not going to try to do a beat-for-beat beat remake where it's clear we don't have the budget to actually remake it properly. That's where I, I said that my my the reason I, I wanted to broach this topic is it's dangerous when you try to actually do a beat-for-beat beat remake. The finest flashbacks are not an homage. The finest flashbacks are literally trying to replicate a lot of the elements of the original. And by doing that, you then force comparison to the original. As opposed to the new metal universes where they'll actually do, yeah, we'll do a couple of OG designs in there, 
but we'll also throw in a spin on it, you know, getting our current designers to take a little bit of a stab at it. So we're not doing a beat for beat exact replica of everything. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And I guess the, the one point I wanted to bring up, and I think it's changed over the last handful of years, but in the past, maybe maybe pre-COVID, um, I think they understood, I think the, the card makers understood that older collectors are the ones that had money, okay, disposable income. For hobbies okay we have we've had our careers we have savings um so if if we've been collecting for you know 30 years and we you know want to you know reconnect with our childhood and they and we and they're going to redo something from 30 40 years ago we're the ones that have all the money and we want it to be done right so we can we can spend that money and and reconnect with our childhood which is probably why we all still do this thing to begin with nowadays though we've seen the trend where 12 year olds are walking around with these pelican cases with fifty thousand dollars worth of cardboard in it so i don't think they care as much about you know the uh, uh the, what's the term the ogs in the hobby um because <laughs> where we have the money but we are more frugal and we're smarter with our money where these young kids are just dumping ungodly amounts of money into the hobby these last few years 12 year olds should not have pelican cases with you know thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of cards in it walking around a card show I don't think Eric should have a Pelican case with thousands and thousands of pound dollars of walking around a card show. It's dangerous. Oh, no, I should not. No. I agree. Not without um, parental supervision. Which I had on uh, Sunday. It's important. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm glad he did admit, and you can rewind back probably about a minute and 15 now, mm. of Eric saying, quote, we have all the money. So, for all of those out there, if you're not aware, if you're new here, Eric pays for the like button, and he just proclaimed that he has all the money. So please hit that like button. I would appreciate it. And thank you, Eric, for confirming. No, I have no money. Um, but I was yeah, it's all committed to the like button. We know it was the general we, you know, mm. the the we these you know <laughs> the older generations have the money. This is a royal we. Yeah, I have no money. Um, I get an allowance. Except for the and, like button. <laughs> and uh, as you may have seen in the comments um, on, on the Instagrams, um, I had I was only allowed to spend half my allowance at the show because my mother makes me put the other half away for retirement. Oh, see, when I, I was younger, she said I had to put it away for college. And I could only spend like half my paper route money. Um, but now, whatever money that my wife gives me, my mother only allows me to spend half of it. So wait, retirement? Yeah. Oh, he retired from his so paper. You're already retired. It, 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 well, yeah. That's a whole nother topic. Let's not discuss. <laughs> I was going to say it gets exceedingly complicated the further down this rabbit hole we go. 
Anyway, to put a button to put a button on this discussion before we try to figure out and parse out the Sanderson or finances, which could be an entire podcast unto itself. You know, I'll get some charts together and we'll figure this thing out. But uh, to put a button on it, I agree with the general premise that the current collectors don't have to care. I agree. But at the same time, then I would point out on the manufacturers then then come up with a half-assed new version of whatever it is you're going to do today. There's no point in doing the nostalgia bait. This is the term that I've kind of coined for this. There's no point in doing the nostalgia bait then if you're going to do it half-assed job. Because if you're going to charge a premium price for this thing that is a flashback product, then you have to, tr again, there may be some things you can't do that maybe the, the supplier just can't do it. You don't have a supplier that can replicate the exact technology. And maybe that's the case. But then don't try to do something that is clearly beyond your capabilities because you're just going to do it badly. And, and that's actually worse than just coming up with, the, coming up with your own thing. Uh, Eric, we always joke about on the Friday show that Eric hates the kabooms and everything. And the kabooms really are kind of a half-assed thing. But it's but here's the thing. They can do it. The point is at least they can do it. So they have the foil available to be able to do that and put it in the product. So if that's all you can do, then do the kabooms. Because at least then you'll be able to execute it. What it is, good enough. Uh, but don't try to do something that at least that people are that is more intricate, more complicated, and people have fond memories of, and then just do a really crappy job because it's like, well, then this does no justice to the original source material. That, that's all I'm trying to get at with that piece. You know, come up with something half-assed, come up with your own version of it, make it a refractor, put some autographs in it, and charge 180 bucks, and you'll make just as much money, and it'll cost you less to make it. So you'll make even more money. So who cares? Why even bother with the nostalgia bait in the first place? Then just give it up. Next year is not going to get better, by the way. Like I said, the embossed ones and all that, the originals look amazing. I have no confidence in your ability to be able to replicate that. None. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So good but luck. They're going to do it. As long as people buy it, they're still going to make it. Yeah. But the, like I said, uh, funny enough, this was the first year that I suspected. I, I threw it out to Jason uh, when we had this discussion originally. I threw it out that this was going to be the first real test. Because I knew that the technology was a little tougher. It was it was a little bit more complicated. Replicating 93 finest refractors, yeah, you can do that. It shouldn't be too much of an issue. 94, that's fine. 95, relatively speaking, no issue. You can replicate that design. When you get to 96 and 97, uh, there's a little more work involved in the next in those next two years. And next year, like I said, is a little bit tougher still uh, to try to get it right. And I don't know if they have the recipe, if they have the ingredients to replicate the recipe. Even though you've got enough examples, if you wanted to try to figure it out and reverse engineer it, I just don't know if they can. Good luck to them, I guess. Okay, so let's move on then. Uh, we actually had a pretty spirited discussion there, so thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate that. Um, let's talk about Chantilly. Uh, that's uh, the show that uh, Bobbles was over there able to visit. Um, why don't you give us a little lay of the land, uh, Bobbles? Tell us a little bit about, uh, we know of Chantilly, but tell us a little bit more for the uninitiated. Give us a little background. So Chantilly's been around for, I don't know exactly how many years, but it is one that has been a part of, as the term Eric quoted, OGs. Um, it used to be what they called part of the circuit, where the dealers would you know, travel around to all of the shows, mostly in the northeastern region. And it it's from... I mean, I, I've heard Philly is really good, but I would say up until Dallas started and then um, Burbank, I would say Chantilly was probably no no question top five show 
you know, possibly top three show outside of the national. Now, obviously, you know, you got folks talking about Dallas and Burbank now, but um, it's, it's a good, really good show, strong autograph guests. It's a Friday, Saturday and Sunday show. So three day show. Um, they hold it three times a year, spring, summer, fall. It's right near Dulles airport. So travel in and travel out is very, you know, easy on people nationwide if they want to, you know, make the make the trip for it. And uh, it usually draws a pretty, pretty strong crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, Traditionally, ballpark wise, how many how many kind of uh, tables are you used to seeing like at a kind of standard show? Uh, to be honest, I don't know how many tables it holds. I, I don't really gauge it on the tables. I will say. Sure. 20 well during the pandemic obviously they had to cancel a couple of them um but when they started it back up it was much much smaller um and then they started expanding it more and more this show was the most tables that i've seen at it because they actually expanded it further towards the back of the building Mm -hmm. um an area that they usually had kind of partitioned off and autographed people would sign helmets and all that stuff back there. They still had that set up, but they had it pushed further back now and had more dealers back there. Um, From what I noticed, there was some dealers that historically are there, even some longtime dealers that were not there. That kind of surprised me. Obviously, there was some new dealers that I'd never seen before. Um, but, you know, a big, big takeaway from it that we discussed, and I'm sure, you know, that this could just be, it could be because it's the fall show and you got the holidays coming up. But I was very surprised at the lack of attendance. Um I quoted in the Discord and with you guys, I would not be shocked if it was at least 30% less, potentially more. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a strong autograph guest guest list. I mean, Montana was there. Allen Iverson was there. Calvin Johnson was there. Johnny Bench. Uh, William Shatner. Um I'm, I'm missing names, but... It, I think it, you it said, was, uh, was it Chad Ochocinco? Ocho was there. Yep. Um, yeah, there, there was a good list. Um, and normally that alone draws a pretty decent sized crowd. And uh, it just it wasn't the same this time. So I don't know if it's economy. I don't know if it's fall. I, I don't know if it's uh, the hobby in general. Um were you at the last were you at the fall were you at the fall one last time yes yeah i've been to to every show since i think we started going there 2017 i think is when we went i can't remember our first show there but we haven't missed since we started going okay so question so then uh we can use a direct comparison how does it compare between last year in the equivalent show year over year so the last heading into fall show versus this heading into fall show. I would say this is the lowest traffic I've seen 
in at least four years. Okay. Now, follow-up question. Because there's a million factors we could throw in there. So I want to kind of pose some possible questions uh, for how that could be the case. It could be, as you say, the season. But as you said, last fall show uh, was more attended. Now, you said there were also more tables. So it could also be spread out, which can create an optical illusion. Sometimes that messes with you a little bit. But as you said, you felt like there was less foot traffic, even for the autograph guests. Yep. That was one thing we talked about. So it let me ask definitely, this. It definitely, even with, like, the they basically just added one row to the back of the okay. the show floor. So it wasn't That's like not that dramatic. Huge, okay. Yeah, it, it wasn't like double the space or anything. And it was definitely noticeable. And as we talked off camera or before recording, the autograph area wasn't anywhere near as packed as it normally is. Like it's hard to walk back there, especially on a Saturday when, you know, midday when the guests, you got the whole row of tables filled with guests signing. It's mm -hmm. packed back there. It wasn't like that this time. And that sure. was, we walked through with Johnny Bench, Ocho Cinco, and Alan Iverson as the people about to sign. So three popular targets that would have been there to, to get, you know, get guests signing. Sure. So now I, let me ask the obvious, uh, uh, real quick, Eric, just before you go, I'm going to ask the obvious question. Economics. Well, that's, of course, potentially a major factor that could play into a lot of this. Uh, now, I will say, in my local shows, hasn't been a big factor because uh, I think some of the dealers were forced to adjust their pricing accordingly. Uh, TCG, Pokemon, the you know the Pokemans and everything are still extremely popular. Last show we went to, there was a smaller show. Bobby and I actually attended over. It was a TCG and sports card show. Uh, the floor traffic was busy. It wasn't a big mm -hmm. room, but it was a decent sized room and a decent amount of for again a small show, uh, kind of an obscure part of the city uh, where I am, which is suburbs of suburbs. And yeah, it was crazy foot traffic. Tons of kids. Obviously, a lot for the TCG, the Pokemans, and all that. But there were people moving sports cards and stuff again. But your mileage may vary, depends on your relative situation. So, do you think the economics played at all into it with just less money in the system right now? I mean, that that's a possible thing. Um, I will say, and to touch on your, I, I want to follow up later in the conversation. But you mentioned the TCG thing. I found something very interesting over the weekend. Yeah. Um, that we can discuss a bit but the biggest thing for me is honestly it's hard even as someone that's been going to the show now for several years it's been very hard to enjoy the show because of the dealer pricing sure and what i'm meaning by this and i'm going to give a few examples there was, so I know Sean, Sean Dolzelak, I think it's how you say his name. Um, I know he's been buying Andy Reid autographs. He's a Chiefs fan. He bought a couple Andy Reid autos. I spotted a rookie ticket Andy Reid. However, it's in his Eagles uniform or uh, whatever outfit. But I sent him a picture of it. Thought maybe he would be interested in that as a Reid fan. And uh, he asked how much. And so I asked the dealer and the dealer said 800 Sean's like, I can buy one on eBay right now for 600 mm -hmm. There was another card. I cannot remember exactly what it was, but 
it was about two to two and a half times what you could purchase on eBay. And then there was a Juan Soto 2022 uh, Tops Finest Finest Moments autograph where he's got the bat drop and it's autographed. Um, I was waiting for the dealer to get back to the table. His buddy was there. While I was waiting, I just looked the card up just to get an idea of what it, what the value was because I didn't know. And uh, I seen one had sold for 61 and there was one available for 80 the guy comes back and I said, how much you want on the Soto? 125. Why am I going to pay you $125 when I can go right now and hit buy it now? I can pay taxes, shipping the works. I can have it insured. I mm. can get it graded and still be cheaper than what you're wanting for $125. Like mm. they have to start coming to reality a little bit that I, I'm I'm like it's actually a joke now because like when you go to museums sometimes you have to pay an entry fee and mm -hmm. that's almost what card shows are feeling like you're paying an entry fee to go in and see a card museum and some guys playing show and tell because unless you're just absolutely needing something there's zero reason to pay what these guys are pricing their stuff at it, there's not it, it as sad as it is, because the experience is fun, I love going to shows, I I love looking for stuff, but even dollar boxes, they're putting cards you can go on ComC and probably buy for under a buck, pricing them at $5. Right. Why are you buying that? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it, it, it's just getting hard, so. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come back around to it, uh, but it, I also see stuff like that on eBay, too. Like I'll see, uh, like I'll see some inserts. There was an insert that I literally saw posted on eBay. Buy it now for fifteen bucks. That I did, in fact, go to Comsi, um, and I bought it for two dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, so I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, you know, two bucks, sure. Yeah, fifteen, not so much. I don't need that. Uh, so sorry, Eric, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I think you had a thought. Is there something you wanted to add there? Well, yeah, and I was making sure I didn't forget it. So it was kind of a two-part thing. One, we kind of just touched on it. It's it, it has to do with the card prices from the dealers. Many of these dealers at shows are still stuck in the mindset, and, and a part of me understands, is stuck in the mindset that I have X amount of dollars into this card, and they want it at least break even if not make some something back it's not my fault that you bought into this pandemic pricing gouge that it, and nobody like me predicted a, a year plus in advance that it was all gonna burst and drop i literally told you when you know we joked about it on the you know we still do on the friday show but, you know, I don't have a degree in economics. You know, I have, you know, 50 years on this planet just kind of understanding things. But the fact that a, a dealer wanted to buy a card for $1,000 during, during the height of card dealing, that's not my problem that you were foolish with your money. Because anyone with a brain could have told you this was not going to last. Well, so, to my point of the Soto, just real quick there, and, and on that point, the Soto was a 2022 card. Mm -hmm. Like, 
the hype had kind of worn off the Soto hype, you know, you're eight, you're four years removed from his rookie year. Um, it, it, that isn't a card that anybody should have been in. I think some of this is dealers still in hope that there's enough of a new crowd that doesn't understand maybe what they're buying or that is still in this hype mode because they're they're new they're fresh into it you know flip game whatever and they think that they can get more value out of it and not necessarily go looking on ebay because believe it or not as popular as ebay is there's a lot of the younger crowd that doesn't use ebay still it's kind of interesting to to see that so i don't know if that's part of it but Sure. Now, can I pose uh, can I pose kind of a question? Because uh, so I'll counter it a little bit because I'm I'm not disagreeing with anything that was said here because it is something we've observed. It's uh, and and again, one of my favorite things in the world is that um, if you go to YouTube or YouTube comment sections, everybody always has all the answers. They'll be happy to tell you they've all got all the answers. They they've all got economics degrees. Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm I'm grateful that we all have economics. <laughs> now everything will be fixed. Don't worry. Just go to the YouTube comment section. You'll get all the answers. Um, but one thing that I would put would point out to you, which I think has, was a factor, and, and Eric will be able to help me gauge this as well to get a second set of eyes and another opinion. Um, you know, the Bobbies and myself, we go to every expo. We go to the twice mm-hmm. a year. Um, what I can tell you is that the last expo we were at, I found that dealers were very flexible. We're willing to move on pricing. Funny enough, those dealers that were willing to do that had very little trouble moving their inventory. Isn't that weird how that works? When they were willing, so they some of them just ate it, but but those same dealers were also like, yeah, I'm also buying. And mm-hmm. they're buying at the new comps, at the new numbers. So they readjusted their buying price so that, all right, you know what? I got burned on this one. I bought it at 100. I'm just making up a number. I bought it at 100, but now it's 60 on a good day. So if I want to get it out the door here, I'm probably going to have to accept 50. Well, so be it. Well, then when you come to me with the card that's 60, I'm going to pay 35 and then I'll sell it for 50. So I, I can't get it all back in one shop, but that does not mean that I cannot sell it, cut my losses on something as opposed to just let it sit there and fester, move the inventory, refresh the inventory and move on with my life. You know, you're not going to get it all back in one shot. Fine. I sold this off, got rid of it, got some money back. And with the money I have now, now I can buy based on the new market, readjust to the market reality, and then I'll make my money on that stuff. And we'll just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. We'll see now, because a year ago at the Fall Expo last year, people were very inflexible. So in, you know, similar to the story that you're telling, so a year ago, they were very inflexible, and a lot of those dealers struggled to move anything out the door. Six months later, they were more flexible and stuff moved a little bit. So I'm hoping that the mentality stays intact into this show, which would make it a much stronger fall show for them than the previous version of the fall show. The spring show was pretty solid. Stuff moved. Well, I have to say, and I know there's other, you know, there's dealers that dabble in more than just hockey, but I know that show is also more populated for hockey. Sure. I will say hockey seems to be a more... A more understandable market for both dealers, buyers, and everything. Like even on eBay, I'm not getting the stupid offers if I list a hockey, like a young gun of somebody I, I didn't want to keep or whatever. 
I'm not getting stupid offers. On other stuff, I will get the most ridiculous offer. And we've talked about this. You've you know you've asked why don't you just put the the bottom dollar on the the offer bin thing? But mm-hmm. is that part of it? Because hockey, I do feel, is more of a collector's market than these other sports. Could that be part of it? I think there's an argument to be made. I think one point that Bobby likes to make a lot, which I think is reasonable. Uh, so speaking of Bobby Burrell, for folks that are listening to podcasts and check out, you know, the Fridays live streams on the channel, Fridays, 8 p.m. Eastern time, be there. Uh, but for the folks who check that out, one of Bobby's prevailing theories, uh, which I think holds some water, is that even during the run-up when we had the big boom period that we just came off of and then we're obviously on the downslope from, um, hockey went up, but it didn't like 10x in prices. We didn't get quite the dramatic. So it meant that there was a little bit of a leveling effect. It meant that when it came time for things to slide back down, yes, they did, but they didn't collapse overnight because they hadn't reached the ridiculous heights. So when they were sliding, you could slide comfortably or, you know, at a rate that let everybody have an opportunity to make a decision. Uh, you know, there's certain items that are just available and that stuff, obviously you try you price it wrong. It's just not going to move. But then other items, um, sitting collections. Uh, I've talked about the phenomenon with you guys before about the, um, the cup, a lot of the, a lot of the various insert sets in the cup do well, not necessarily because of the players in it. They do well because there are still set collectors who will put together a set of the, you know, uh, limited logos, for example. So you'll have the checklist. You'll have certain players be like, why did that player sell for that much? That player is not really that popular. It doesn't matter. You got the player collectors for them. You got the team collectors for them. You got people who just like nice patches and you got the people putting together the set. So you got these four disparate groups targeting this card at the same time, which actually pushes the floor up on the card and in turn holds the value a little bit stronger because even when it f- shuffles back on the market, there's still some interest in it. So believe it or not, there's still some room there for people to, because some people really want the nice patch. And they, and sometimes that's an arbitrage opportunity. I've taken advantage of that many a times at the show. I bought the card because it had a nice patch on it. And it's a duplicate. I already had one. So I took the two, picked the one that had the nicer patch, kept that one, sold the other one, and actually made more money than the one that I bought that had the nicer patch. Arbitrage, that opportunity has always been there. There was actually, you mentioned those limited logos. There was two I probably should have picked up. Um, One to keep, one to sell, because the player is doing very well. That was uh, Alex Debrinkit. It had a really sick Blackhawks patch in it. Um, and he's started the season off pretty hot. So I probably should have picked that up and tried to move it. The other one was a nice Jamie Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a really, the, the shoulder stars patch, but I was trying to stick, even though stars, you know, I was trying to stick with my, yeah, it, it was, yeah, very nice. It wasn't that one. Cause the patch this is actually the lesser of the two patches. I actually sold the other one for a tidy profit. I kept this one. But I sold the other one. But I, the limited logos. It's the, the point is this yeah. is the this is the same. But th- that's the reason I use that example though. There are set collect. There are people who are putting together this set. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who the player is. They want to finish the set and they'd like to get the nicest patches possible. And there's the player collectors who would like to get the nicest patches possible. So you could take a relatively Jamie Ben is not the biggest star in the game by by any stretch. However, if you're talking about the player collectors, 
you get the ones who really want to put together the nice set and you have a nice patch to offer, they will pay a premium over what you would think. So you go look at the comp and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, you got to understand these people are being very, to your point for your question about the collecting thing, they're collectors making a very specific decision. They're saying, I want to build this set or I'm collecting this player and I want the nicest patch that I can get my hands on. And if that's the best one in the market available, I'll pay strong. You get enough people in the same room that are willing to pay strong virtually. Guess what? There's where your bidding war kicks in. That's where the price goes to impressive amounts. But you can't base that off of everything else. You, you take a lesser patch, it's going to sell for less. Unfortunately, um, I was hoping there was going to be more hockey dealers there being start of the season. Uh, there was only four. Okay. And the guy that had the Debrinket and the Ben, I hadn't seen him there previously. Um, but the other three are the normal, the regular guys. And uh, But to your point, and, and back to like the dealers and everything, um, on the flip side of it, the interesting thing, now it could have just been because I know the dealer, but I sold some vintage stuff and it was very easy to move it. I knew the guy I sold it to. He knew, you know, we, we've done dealings before. He gave me fair prices. Um, but on the flip side, modern stuff, back to where I was saying dealers are wanting to spend or charge like one and a half, two X what you can buy it for. They're not wanting to give fair market value on a card that they want from you. Mm-hmm. And that that also makes it like, you can't have this and this because like, and that just tells me why can't you work better on the price of what you're selling if you were buying at such lean, you know, percentages here. And I'm talking like one of the cards that I had a couple of dealers interested in it, it sold raw for $943. I have a copy in an SGC 9.5. I was looking at eight because I'm valuing it since raw. Well, PSA nine, sorry, PSA nine did nine forty three. Um, I was looking probably in the thousand to twelve hundred range would be realistic on the nine five. I was offering it at eight hundred, and they wanted me to go lower. There's no way, mm-hmm. like, uh, there's no point in me doing that. I can list it on eBay, take out the fees and everything, and clear more than that. You know, so um, it was it was both spectrums, the buying side and the selling or and their selling side. So, sure. No, that's fair. I think um, we're that's the reason why I think it's going to be interesting. I wanted to get the obviously, you know, we, we, we talk about the vibes. We wanted to get the vibes from Chantilly. So it gives us an indicator. But again, I see regional variances. That's why I gave the example of that relatively small show, relatively small show. And the foot traffic is strong. Um, I expect Expo in now like three weeks give or take i think that's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out we have a strong set of signers as well um we've got certain first time things uh psa is going to do on-site grading for the first time that's going to be an interesting thing to see how that plays out for our market that's that's a big deal um and they're going to configure there's going to we'll talk more about it when we get closer but the, the point that i'm making is that there's going to be some draws but the economic factors still play into it but at the same time, some people like to go just to visit. I, I've I've had folks reach out to me that listen to the channel or that I get a chance to correspond with who are going to make it out to the show. 
some of them are going to have got a plane and a hotel and everything. And they, and they, they, this is a, a travel destination show for them. The fall one tends to be the one that people will travel to if they're going to travel to one. So all these factors are kind of contradicting each other. And I think Eric gets a taste of this because obviously he's not at every show. But if you're going to pick one, you pick the fall show. And a lot of people are in the same mental state because it tends to be the stronger. And we got series one came out. And I can tell you, only speaking from the one shop, amgcollectibles.ca thank you thank you again for the support but they had a very strong showing going through their allocation of series one uh i'll get them to give the details but they got through their initial allocation in a day and it wasn't just i pure. could i could not find any of it at the show i yeah. do know my lcs has a case i also know that the price of that product has seen a slight increase because yep. of that little easter egg bedard card sure so i'm debating on getting one but back to your point and i want to tie eric into this as well because he does work or claims to work um at a shop is a strong word very strong you, it is a four-letter word we want to be very careful with four-letter words around here very careful. You mentioned that one show in the foot traffic, and you mentioned the Pokemon slash TCG. After we left Chantilly, we normally go over to Red Robin, which is actually semi right across the street from Blowout's shop. They call it the Fantastic Store. We went in, and first thing I noticed is they had rearranged their store. Like, it... it it's cleaned up. It looks like it's uh, been updated a little bit. Um, things looked a bit more organized. But then, first of all, there wasn't many people in there. But then we noticed in the back room, because like you have the main, main little shop, and it's a very small shop to begin with, but you have the main shop floor, and then there was a door to go in the back, and it was kind of like this garage-looking warehouse area. And they used to have tables set up back there. They would run trade nights, or they also did some um, video game tournaments, like Super Smash Brothers tournaments and stuff, or they would do Pokemon tournaments, that sort of thing back there. Well, we walked back there because we noticed some people back in that room. They've now turned this into a huge area, like a second shop almost, that is all Pokemon, Lorcana, Magic the Gathering, all your TCG stuff. They had Lego, they had Funko Pops, they had some Pokemon plush, like all these various pop culture things. Mm-hmm. There was probably an estimate of 40 people back there. And there was four in the sports part of the shop. And I was like, holy crap you know what that was like now granted you did have the show going up the street so maybe that affected the the sports side a little bit Mm. but it was still pretty recognizable difference the amount of and it wasn't just kids but there was a good amount of kids there was some teenagers some young adults and then there was it there was you know older adults there but likely with the kids i don't know if they were collecting or whatever but that was interesting to see how busy that room was Mm. do you have tcg or a space that's tcg at the shop there eric uh no we we absolutely do not we carry very little of it um however our competitor 
um, which is a, you know, a local shop, uh, kind of much, much smaller than ours. That is the primary thing, I think. Um, You know, he definitely has sport cards and, and, and sells packs and all that. And, you know, he's been in business for a very, very long time. But he is now basically the headquarters of the in the area of all that TCG stuff. He has game mm-hmm. nights. You know, you see, you know, we I see the guys going in there and and um, you know doing got their little cases and going in there and playing whatever games that they play. I I don't know anything about it. I'm not making fun of it. I'm ignorant to it. So I, I want to make that clear. I'm not making fun of it. I was going to say, I'm glad you're making this clear because at the rate where we're going there, you know, our Pokemon's overlords are going to overtake us very quickly because, <laughs> because they're, they're basically propping up the entire industry at the moment in time. By the way, if, if your competitor there would just rebrand to IHOP, International House of Pokemans, they would already be crushing you. They would literally own you. You'd be owned by Big Pokey. They would be owned by Big Pokemon. Yeah. Or the International House of Peabody. Yep. Good enough. I, either way, I just appreciate. Look, I just wanted to make IHOP the acronym, one way or the other. I don't care. I just want to make IHOP the acronym. As long as we get there, that's the only thing that I care about. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, our competitor, um, and I've known I've known the guy who who runs that shop, you know, my whole collecting career. But um, yeah, he's kind of the guy that that does that now, and so he gets every single customer in driving distance um, that's into tcg stuff um he gets them all yeah now can i throw a i can throw a quick theory i actually think there's there's a couple of specific reasons but there's one specific that i want to throw out that i think helps the tcgs a lot the tcg model instinctively is built to help move new product and what i mean by that is when you say tcgs you're talking about trading card game but they used to be called ccgs or collectible card game yes you can collect them but and some people players will collect the vintage or the older sets or whatever you want that that's part of the game too but they're game pieces still they they're they they when the new series come out there is a relevance to the current meta of the games themselves which instinctively gives the players a reason to buy the new stuff as it comes out well i think another element to it and you know we joke around Pikachu is a good investment because he can't tear an ACL and this and that and the other, you know. But take it outside of that and look at even comic books. Everybody knows Spider-Man. And Spider-Man dates back to what, the 50s? And uh, 60s. Whether, I think early mid-60s. I don't know when the first when, when Spider-Man's first appearance was. I, I'm not that big into the comics. But my point is, today someone new that goes and picks up a spider-man comic if they get into it and want to collect them there is still a relevance back all the way through that history of the books to when he first makes his appearance all of those years sports we have guys that have varying lengths of careers and then once that career is done you know they're trying to recycle these cards and new products but that player isn't on TV still doing his thing, hitting home runs, scoring touchdowns, dunking a basketball, hitting four pointers, whatever. They're no longer doing that. So there is a, I feel a detachment from the newer generation because they're not connected to that athlete. Uh, Charizard 
if somebody pulls a Charizard today and they're six years old, when they become 26, they might decide they want that first edition Charizard because they remember pulling that one when they were six years old. So right. I think all of it, they've set it up for longevity, not a career or accomplishments of championships and goats and this and that and the other. They've set it up for the longevity of however long the the products go. And I yeah, think it's very it's, smart. It's narrative driven. It's an IP. They're characters as opposed to real people. Um, so they have a lot more control over their staying power. It can, it can continue long after a normal career, quote unquote, would end, to your point. Um, but, and I think that's fair. But as I said, I, I just think all these things that we just talked about are all factors that have helped TCG. Again, not my deal, but I can respect it. I can, I can appreciate it. Uh, and I'm not just saying this so that, the, you know, Big Pokey doesn't just destroy us. Uh, I, I want to make <laughs> sure we're in good we're in good stead. You know, we'll make sure we're in good stead with the Pokemans. I'm not, so. I'm not afraid of the Pokemans. I'm afraid of the magic people. They're all, my son, my son will be 23 in December. And I will say he's never, he gave sports cards a very, very, very tiny chance because when we were going to the minor league games, he found a player that he was watching. Unfortunately, the player wound up on another team and then the son lost interest. But other than that, he's always been Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic, Pokemon, all that stuff. He can tell you all sure. about those. He's never cared about the sports cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, if uh, if you guys want to jump into it in a second, there was an interesting part to the Chantilly show that we can tie in with a previous episode we've done. Now, I was going to say, I was actually, funny enough, I think we're on the same wavelength, so correct me if I'm mistaken. I was. I wanted to quickly end the point again, also, so that you know the Pokemans don't destroy us. I wanted to make sure we gave appreciation and respect. But are we talking about Cardix Q and the and the store card store of Geoff? We are. Okay. Um, the uh, it, 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 I didn't recognize it at first because I'm going to be honest. It was way less extravagant than I expected it to be. I really don't think for but for a buying station they should be spending. Look, they just look. He's already going to spend millions potentially to build this store. I'm sorry, a shack, a cardboard sign, and Eric saying buying crap might be enough. That might be all you want. It to do. was. It was basically just a, a little like kind of couple tables in an L shape. But they had a table space or section that they had rented. But it was basically just like a banner, you know, up that. I don't even remember what it's like. Cards HQ. It's Cards HQ. Center yeah, or something like HQ. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they had these little, which they utilized well, they, these yeah. little double-sided. Yeah. Um, the QR codes, yep. Yeah. And they utilized it well. Instead of having two different ones, they put them on double sides. So that was smart. Mm-hmm. Um, there was two young guys with each having a laptop. But I will say, and to give another kind of vibe, um they had a line of mm-hmm. people that was and i don't i i was going to try to see how the process worked and what the comps they were offering mm-hmm. were but when i seen the line i said okay screw this i'm not that invest you know i'm not that sure. vested in it i i'm not really worried about it but um yeah they they did have a couple people there i don't know if they were buying on the spot that's the part i was trying to see because it was only two people and 
I didn't see like piles of cards that they were stashing. So if they were, I don't know where they were keeping them. If they were like getting some and then moving them to another location. I don't know. I also say when you go to the QR code, it kind of brings up this form to fill mm -hmm. out and then they'll kind of evaluate it or something. And it like asks you how much you're wanting, what kind of stuff you have, all this other thing. It's kind of like a questionnaire. So I don't know if they were just entering in the people's stuff maybe and then they're going to go back and review and then make offers maybe on some stuff that they want i don't know how the process was working i wished i could give more details on that but they are setting up at shows and apparently purchasing inventory in some sort of fashion um i told carlos we could try this uh if you want i can hold this up and people can scan the qr code if you were I did try it. Uh, we were able to get it to work if you want to do. If you want to check out what it is for yourself, uh, for me, it just sent me to the CarJXQ site. That's all I got yeah, out of it. But... Yeah, it's just the website. It'll take you to the site, and then there's a thing um, that'll like take you to... Um... Yeah, so you just have to hold it. There you go. So if you guys want to try it, those of you on the video side of it, if you want to try it, you can pause it and give it a try. I was able to get it to work. If you want to try it, knock yourself out. Check it out for yourself. We'll reserve judgment. Um, but we expect to see more of those setups in other shows as they try to make the rounds, the show circuit. Uh, now, here's something. Uh, let's kind of wind down on this because we're right around the time I wanted to ha have for this uh, episode. And we'll definitely have more to talk about in future weeks and future iterations. But uh, let me quickly get a gauge for you guys. I'd be curious if it was me running this thing. I understand they're in the process of buying new inventory and getting that done. But it's still they're targeting the early part of next year, like maybe January, February to get open. And they got to do a lot of stuff between now and then. I would almost be inclined, given the amount of stuff that they're going to have to do, I would almost be inclined if it was me to be setting up the eBay store, to be getting inventory already put on there and to start actually selling through some of it. The reason I say that is twofold. Number one, to, of course, get their systems figured out, get it underway. It's a conversation they have when uh, when I talk about all the AMG thing. There's a lot of stuff that we'll talk about, but before everybody gets a chance to see it, we try it. We're, we you know we run tests, we run experiments to make sure things work the way that we expect them to. That way, we don't want to deliver a product that doesn't work properly when you know what everybody's going to. Uh, so by the time you see it, it's already been vetted and tested. Where you're trying to do a new store and a new concept, you're not going to have the store open yet. You're not going to try to do the 24/7 selling yet. But if you're going to have an eBay store as part of it, which I assume you will as one of your avenues to move some inventory, well, you're going to want to build up your feedback and all that. You're going to want to get your shipping department folks trained up and start doing some of the process. I would already be starting to sell at least a small scale stuff just to get people trained up and get them up to speed. Hey, this is how we scan the stuff. This is how we set up the store. This is how we ship the product out. And at least start building up the feedback and get things already kind of underway so that when you open up the store, you're not just starting from scratch on day one. And you've actually moved some inventory, hopefully, maybe made a couple of bucks. And at least the flow has started. A little bit of buying, selling, buying, selling. And then when you're underway, well, guess what? You just continue. All right, store is now fully operational. Store is open. eBay store is going. Shipping department is ready to go. Boom, let's go. Yeah, and... I also, like, I hear you guys, well, I don't know if you've purchased any, but it's also interesting because we hear talk about, people talk about, and I guess it's a popular thing, 
I'm surprised they haven't bought out some Com C ports, or maybe they right. are, and getting those, you know, built up to to ship out to them or whatever. But yeah, I don't. Again, I was. I wish I could give more information on like what they were offering because that would be an interesting thing to be profitable. You know, you got to have a pretty good margin there. I would, you yeah. know, assume. Um, the the table spaces cost a good bit of money at Chantilly. He had two guys working there all weekend, you know. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they were offering, but it was interesting to see. And um, they were definitely busy. And that's why another reason I wanted to mention it, there was a lot of people trying to sell. So sure. to throw in that vibe check, you know, you got to open stand. Hey, we're buying they had a line. So that was interesting. And it's a quick way to sell your cards. Obviously it's quick and easy. I mean, we buy collections all the time. I mean, daily people walking in and, you know, money's going out, you know, but if you want to get the most fear, you know, for your cards, he's, he's not giving you book prices. So, I mean, people, I, and I know that's, that makes you guys know that. And I'm maybe, maybe it, many of the people who are listening know that but you i cannot begin to explain to you how many people come in with with a collection hand out you know we're going through the cards and they're like well that one's worth 100 that one's worth 50 that one's worth 20 and it's like well how much do you want and he's like well i want 100 for that one i want 50 for that mm -hmm. one it, it it dumbfounds me that they don't understand how commerce works and how brick and mortars work do not expect world uh that you're going to go up to jeff and say okay i've evaluated my my cards they're worth uh twenty thousand dollars can you i'd like my twenty thousand dollars in cash please it's okay i i can i give a can i give a good example of exactly what you're talking about so i don't want to spoil it too much but i, I will share with you because i remember this when you brought it up i remember this this was a mainstay at the sports card expo for years and i want to share this with you guys this is from uh the old expo program here, the 2019 edition. But this was an ad that was in the expo every year. And it plays right into what you're talking about. And it's perfect. It was from a thing called Rex and Collectibles. Uh, they were there for years. And by the way, people would patronize this for reasons that I'll explain here in a second. But this is the ad. And I will show it to you in a second. First, I'll read it, but then I'll show it to you. Buying bulk all weekend while space lasts. So specifically space lasts. And they had these categories here on the ad. And I'll, like I said, I'll zoom in on the ad so you guys can see it here. 1988 and older. So this is, you're buying bulk. 88 and older, paying 0 0.7 cents per card. Uh, 89 to 99, paying 50, uh, 0.5 cents, not 50 cents, 0.5 cents per card. 2000 to 2010, paying 0.8 cents per card. Uh 2011 to current, uh, paying 1.5 cents each. Hockey jersey cards, 2005 to present, paying 75 cents each. Now you sit there and go like, oh, who would want? Somebody who has a bunch of them, opens up a bunch of stuff and doesn't even want to bother. And they have mm -hmm. 100 and they want to, they would rather give you 100 jersey cards that they don't even want to list on Compsy, get their 75 bucks and walk away. But that's exactly what it would say right here. So yep. you guys, hopefully, so I can I can zoom in here just for a second, just so you can see it. But just for the video, folks, what I just read is exactly what it says, and it would give you the listings. 
and for the quote unquote 2011 to current was 1.5 cents a card. AK, but then you're like, well, who would want to give cards for 1.5? Somebody who has 5,000 cards, they already pick through the quote unquote good cards. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so you'll get, I'll give you a 5,000 count box and you'll get this off of my hands. Like, yep, 1.5 cents a card. Take it. That's fantastic. I get rid of it. Sir. Circling back to the the TCG thing, that's also huge in Pokemon. Of course, there's there's dealers that'll buy bulk like that, and they they pay pennies per card or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they have a little thing down. They'll take the they'll take a card and measure it out, and they know how many cards fill in that one card length, and they'll just sit there and count it in the box and say, okay, you got six hundred cards. We pay this much per card. You know, do you want to take it? And and it's just people unloading the bulk. And uh, yeah, so it, that is a thing, and people will do it. So, yeah. but you can imagine, like, and again, you wouldn't think that people would be like. But again, if you're somebody who's opened a lot of stuff, just try moving, try moving some singles, try grabbing some, you know, base cards. You know, uh, here, here's one of the AEW base cards. There are people who are going to like the character, but here's the thing: is it even worth me shipping? Nope. <laughs> Not even worth the effort to a lot of cases. Now, if so, if I know somebody who wants one, I might grab a couple, throw them together for them, throw them onto an envelope, throw one stamp on it, and so be it. That's fine. But beyond that, am I willing to expend a lot more energy on this? But what if you open cases of the stuff and you're sitting on a bunch of it and you can be like, oh, I can get rid of it. You've already taken all the inserts, the parallels, anything that has value. You've already extracted it out. You're like, oh, yeah, take take it. You know, any good rookies, whatever. Whatever's left over. Look at well, one point five cents. Imagine how much breakers are making on it if they yeah. turn in bulk. Yeah. So, but you imagine and... <laughs> a five thousand count box is seventy five bucks. In the back of your mind, like, oh my god! But at the same time, you didn't have to. You already took out whatever you wanted. You're not sorting it. They're not asking you to sort it. They're just saying, like, well, do you, you know, what do you have? A five thousand count box. You want to take that? Seventy five bucks. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> He got rid of a load of a because there were people that would come with a stack of 5,000 counts just to make sure. And it'd be like 300 bucks. Okay. You just bought 20,000 cards, but it's no longer, you don't have to deal with it. You've already, whatever. And you kept the rest of it for yourself. But that, that's the kind of buying that used to be now, not, not every dealer is going to do that. Most of the dealers have no interest whatsoever in even dealing with it. Even if 1.5 cents a card. They have no interest whatsoever. Well, those guys obviously have a use for it. That's the reason why they made that offer for years. They would have that ad every year in, in the listing. And there's a couple of them that would do that. And they would buy your stuff again while space lasts. If you remember the caveat I put, while space lasts. So they found something to do with it, whether it's kindling or whether they found another avenue to move it. Like they found something to do with it and they'll buy it off your hands and take it. But again, most people will never carry that stuff into the expo. But the people that do, Want to get rid of it? They're like, "Yes, I'll take the seventy-five bucks for the five thousand count box, please." Thank you. So, there's there's an avenue for everybody. And by the way, you saw that jersey one, seventy-five cents. Oh, but these jerseys are like two or three bucks. Do you want to sell them for two or three bucks? Yeah. And because if ask- you don't, these guys will put it on Comsi and they'll do it themselves. And yeah, they'll give you the seventy-five cents. I helped. I helped a, a family friend um, sell some very high-end vintage baseball cards. And I felt it was important for me to explain to her um, how 
to 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 get the most money out of these cards. All that did was confuse her. Is as much as slow as I went, clarified everything. It just the more I talked, the more she got confused. And we have that a lot. And you know, finally, I brought him to work, got an offer, told her what the offer was. She did a backflip, uh, which is pretty good for like seventy something years old, mm-hmm. and um, and took the money because the idea of explaining to her grading, explaining to her, you know, uh, you know, uh, auction houses and and eBay and ComC and and all these different. I mean, it, it, her, her ears were starting to bleed, um, but people don't want to do that. So it's like, okay, so yes, I could double my money by doing this or I can get out quick and do this. And most people will take the get out quick. Yeah. And I think though, and we'll kind of put a button on it on this. Sometimes uh, on the live stream and other conversations, we'll have people talk about, well, why would anybody use consignment services when you can do it yourself? Even even people who have some experience in the hobby, who kind of know what they have and all that. And the answer is everybody's got a finite amount of time. Everybody has a finite amount of energy that they can expend on it. And even if you have experience and all, you know what, sometimes, you know what, I don't even want to deal with it. Sometimes I just don't want to deal with it. Forget it. Not, not interested. That's where, again, some of these consignment services can be helpful. Uh, Bobbles and I have had kind of philosophical conversations. He he's very he he does his reselling and all that, so he's got his method that he's comfortable with, and he's got his you know set up an apparatus. But I'll, I'll I've, I'm literally going to have a box that I'm going to put together of stuff that I'm going to drop off at Comsi. They'll take a certain amount. For, I think it's fifty cents intake for the stuff. They'll take a picture of it. They'll list it. They'll catalog it accordingly. And when they're done, I get an email saying, "Hey Carlos, your stuff's ready to go." I price it. I let it sit, and every couple of days, I get sale, 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 sale. I made 15 bucks on a card. It had, I pulled it from a blaster 10 years ago. It had been sitting in a box collecting dust, and I made 15 bucks. but it sat for a long. So it's, the only thing I got charged was the 50-cent intake, but I made 15 bucks after a year after it finally sold, and that was it. Great. I, it was credit that I could use to buy. I bought some Farbs. I bought some Medano cards with my 15 bucks, and I was like, oh, that's great. Awesome. But if I had sat it and put it on eBay, I probably could have gotten a couple of bucks more, but how many times do I have to relist it? Relist it. And then I have to ship it. Right. When it's already there, it's done. It's money. Yeah. And you so have it's, to figure out how much, how much money is your individual time worth? Correct. And, and that's what people, and when I explained to this, this family friend what it was going to take to get the absolute most out of this collection, She's like, I, I, there's no way I have time for that. There's, there's absolutely no way. I, I, I just want this stuff out of my house. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, well, here's the check. Yeah. And in a nutshell, that's how a lot of those businesses. But that's a situation where, if you, as the buyer, if you're able to buy intelligently, that's where your margin is. You're, you're making your margin on people that don't want to put in that time and effort. And like I said, where Bobbles has an apparatus and he's, re- and he already resells and he sells other stuff. And it might make more sense for him to do it because he's already he's already got a, a method and he's already got a stuff figured out how he wants to do certain things and he can do it exactly the way he wants to. Boom, no problem. Other people will sell one thing once in a blue moon and they just don't have the time to try to figure it out every time and be like, all right, just get it on my hands and give me some cash and we'll move on with our lives. Yep, so just whatever it's time the same for way with grading. Mm-hmm. I, I 
wondered why, like, what benefit back when, you know, the whole price change thing happened, I was like, what benefit do I offer now? They can submit themselves at dang near the same price. And then everybody was like, no, the service you provide is like much better. The the shipping you do is cheaper and this and that. And I was like, you know, never really thought of it that way. <laughs> so yeah, they would rather have somebody else do it. <laughs> they they yeah, would 100% yeah. rather have somebody else do it. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So, That's a real thing. It's a fact. And, and you don't, um, I don't, I don't want to use that word. Uh, do you prep the cards? So if I just, if I just, for example, no, just sitting unless here, it's Chris Ford. Bubbles, Bubbles, don't tell him. Don't, don't lie to him. You, you will prep yeah. his cards. Right. <laughs> if I sent you this Chris Ford rookie what kind of a card is that eric that is a chris oh lost connection this is awful (laughs) this is truly true but you know bubbles i was thinking next episode what we should do is we should find out who scored the first nba three-pointer eric don't you think that'd be great if we found out who scored the first nba three-pointer it'd be sensational if we could just figure it out one time together as a yeah i mean it it would be a interesting topic i think the viewers would enjoy it Absolutely. Next episode, we'll dedicate it to nothing more than finding out once and for all, despite Eric's lies and his misinformation, who scored the first NBA three-pointer. Because he's given us about 50 names at this point. At least. To answer Eric's question, though, um, hmm. I do not prep the cards unless there has been maybe a handful at most people who have specifically asked me and offered, you know, they're like, I'll pay you for your time doing that. Um, otherwise, I do not do that. I prefer people knowing what their cards are, what they look like, all of that before they send them in. That way they can learn grading, hopefully not waste money buying a card that doesn't need to be graded. Um, and yeah, have an idea of what the card should come back as as well. So that's the answer to your question. Do you, all right, do you also, in that, in that way, do you pre-grade? So if I sent this in, and, and if you, they ask, yes. Okay. If they don't, no. If and I, I do charge for that. Like, hey, I I receive your package. I undo it. Make sure that's what it is. I do the paperwork. I package the thing up. Out it goes. That that's basically it. That that is your job. As a bulk. Uh, my wife unboxes the cards, verifies everything is there. She puts the orders into spreadsheets. Make sure there's no duplicates on any particular invoice. And then I do the preview, obviously, and then yes, pack them up and ship them okay. off. Unless somebody specifically, specifically asks, says, "Take a look at mine, uh, pre-grade yes. them, uh, email me, call me, let me know what you think." Um, yes. if, if there's if there's you know bubble gum residue on it, clean it up. You know that. Yes, you know, if they want to slab cracked, I you know I can do that for them. All of that, yeah. Okay. There you go. All right, let's wind her down on that because right now we're right about the time that I want to shoot for. And as we wind down the scintillating episode, uh, it is eight to two, Texas up on Houston in the ALCS in the top of the fifth. So good luck to the folks in the battle. 16 to seven, Minnesota over the 49ers at the moment, uh, middle of the third quarter. Wow. Could be another upset. It could be another upset alert. It plays into what I said earlier to, uh, Earlier in this episode. You know what? Don't assume anything. Assume nothing in this NFL season. Every time you think you got to figure it out, the NFL is like, so we're going to throw a wrench into that whole idea that you had in your head. Good luck. 
<laughs> Minnesota's <laughs> in the red zone too, about to score again. So yeah, yeah. The 49ers have played extremely well, and Minnesota's had struggles, and yeah, here we are, right? <laughs> goes back to what I said a little earlier. Let's keep an eye on that though. That might be an interesting storyline as the season goes on. Maybe it is a rock, paper, scissors season. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's like there's nobody definitive under control who has all the control. Write it down. 2023 Super Bowl champions, New England Patriots, MVP, Mac Jones. You heard it here first. There, there's somebody who would be <laughs> thrilled with that. Outcome. All right, hit that end button. <laughs> I was going to say, like, we need to stop this man before before he causes any more trouble. All right, so that's it for this episode. Thank you all for, for joining us for another Cinelin conversation. We enjoyed that quite a bit. Eric Sanderson DeOr on Instagram, information in the description, bobbles and ball cards. Brando, also information in the description. <laughs> and we'll could be back with other future episodes. Eric, as always, appreciate your, your appreciation of the like button. He appreciates your engagement that way. If you got questions or comments, throw them in the comment section. If you're checking out on YouTube, if you check it out on Spotify, you know, leave a five-star review or whatever options you have available, that would be really appreciated. And more videos coming up on the channel live streams on the YouTube channel on Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern time, where we're 5% less mature than we are oh, yes. in this format. That is correct. <laughs> mm -hmm. So for myself, the guitar man himself, Sanderson DeOr, and myself, because I'm Carlos, that is another episode in the books. We'll catch you in the next one.